You have probably noticed in the bulletin each week I have listed for you the text for the next week's sermon. And that is with the hope that you will take the time sometime during that week to come to read that passage of Scripture. Uh, That will help you as you arrive on Sunday morning and you hear the word preached to you. You will have already read it, looked at it, and be familiar with it. I hope that you have read today's text from John chapter 5. We're not going to take the time to read all of that chapter because it's 47 verses long. But what I want to do for you this morning is summarize what is taking place in that chapter, at least the first part of that chapter. And as we get further along in the chapter, then I'll take some time to read some of those verses for you. If you have your Bibles with you, it would do you good to turn to John chapter 5 and follow along with me. This is more than likely the Passover feast that Jesus is attending in Jerusalem. If that's the case, that means it's the second Passover feast of his ministry, meaning that this is the beginning of his second year of ministry. He is at the pool of Bethesda, which is one of several pools found throughout the city. There was a Jewish thought that periodically an angel would come and stir the waters of this pool. And the first person who could get into the water after the stirring would be healed. Whether that was true or not, I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't give us any confirmation that that was any more than just a thought that the Jewish people had. But as Jesus approached this pool... There were all kinds of sick people there. And I want you to picture this in your mind. There were blind people. There were lame people. There were people with withered limbs. And one of those people was a man who had been lame for 38 years. Jesus, as he approached this man, asked him a very direct question. The question was this. Do you wish to get well? And his answer, it wasn't a direct yes, I want to get well, but his answer was as follows. He said, I don't have anybody to help me get into the water once the angel stirs it up. There's always somebody else that gets into the water ahead of me. Jesus said to him, arise, take up your pallet and walk. And verse 9 of this chapter says, Immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. What a day for this man. But don't neglect to see the little tidbit of information given to us at the end of verse 9. It's just one sentence long. It says, now it was the Sabbath on that day. The Sabbath day for the Jewish people was from Friday evening sundown to Saturday evening sundown. And it was to be a day of rest for them, according to the Old Testament law. I want to read for you from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And this is from the Ten Commandments, what God had to say about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, rest and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, pretty clear instructions there from God to his people. You are to rest and not do work on the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees wanted to guard against anyone doing work on the Sabbath. So they took it upon themselves to define what work meant. And over the years, the regulations, or you might say the stipulations that they put upon people to keep them from working became longer and longer and longer. And to them, their regulations actually became the law. For instance, let me give to you a few examples of what I found from Mark Moore's writing on this subject of the Sabbath and how the Pharisees treated it. And what they enforced upon the people of their day. In reference to a person's healing on the Sabbath, a person could be medically attended to only if their life was in danger. Otherwise, it would have to wait. If you were in an accident, let's say you had an accident like Kevin Ware had from Louisville... Uh, Cardinals basketball team here a week ago. Many of you saw that on TV. If you had that kind of an accident on the Sabbath and your life was not in danger, you just would have to wait until the next day until you could receive medical attention for that injury. Anything above that would be considered work. If a wall fell on a man on the Sabbath, it was, it was okay to, to dig through the rubble to get to that body. but And you, you'd have to examine the body to see what kind of condition he was in or she was in. If the person who had been injured, if their life was in danger, then they could receive medical attention. But if once you found that body and you saw that you know, their, their, their life is, is not in danger, but they may have been all broken up from that wall falling on them, that person would just have to wait until the next day to receive any kind of medical attention. Otherwise, it would be considered work. Now, if that person, once you found their body from the wall falling on them, if they were dead you'd have to leave their body there in the rubble until the next day. And then you could take the body out and clean the rubble up. Let's say you had an earache or, or something going on that you needed to put medicine in your ear and a piece of cotton there in your ear. You better get that piece of cotton in before the Sabbath started because once the Sabbath started... You didn't get any kind of medical attention whatsoever. And if by chance a piece of cotton fell out of your ear and it's the Sabbath day, you better not pick, reach down and pick that piece of cotton up and put it back in your ear because that would be considered work. And don't you even think about putting a new piece of cotton in your ear on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. 
How about this? If you lifted anything heavier than the weight of a dried fig, then it was considered work on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk from your house any further than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath. And every person had that distance marked in every which direction from their house. But there was a way to get around that. If at that 3,000 foot mark you established a temporary shelter, let's say you established a tent there at that 3,000 foot mark, then you could walk another 3,000 foot and that was a way that you could get around that. You see, it was crazy. Lots of regulations that were put upon the people. The only kind of knot that you could tie with a rope on the Sabbath would be one that you could tie with one hand. Have you ever tried to tie a knot with one hand? <laughs> and women, it was forbidden for you to look into a glass on the Sabbath lest you discover a gray hair and you be tempted to pluck it out. That would be work on the Sabbath. And here's the clincher. A person could not wear false teeth on the Sabbath day lest they fall out and you be tempted to reach down and pick them up and carry them. That would be work. My question was, did they really have false teeth in that day? <laughs> I was listening to Mark Moore from Ozark Christian College. Uh, he has lectures on the life of Christ that you can get to on the Internet. And I was listening to his lecture on this passage of Scripture, and one of his students actually asked that question. You mean to tell me they had false teeth in the days of Jesus? And his answer was, yes, they had wooden false teeth. That sounds pretty archaic and pretty uncomfortable, doesn't it? You couldn't climb a tree on the Sabbath. You couldn't clap your hands on the Sabbath. You couldn't swim. You couldn't dance on the Sabbath. The regulations went on and on and on. And you know what? Their regulations became the law. And that's where Jesus got himself into trouble with the Pharisees because he didn't pay attention to their regulations. And that's why his healing on the Sabbath caused such a controversy. In the minds of the Pharisees, he was breaking the Sabbath law. But in reality, the only thing that he was breaking was their regulations. Verse 16 of John chapter 5 says, They were persecuting Jesus because of his miracles on the Sabbath. Let me read to you verses 17 and 18 of that chapter. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. John chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. But he answered them. This, this is in response to the, uh, what it says in verse 16. He's, he's being persecuted because of what he's doing on the Sabbath. Verse 17. But he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal 
with God. That's a very important message to grab a hold of. The plan to kill Jesus had already started. And it was all because he was breaking the Sabbath and he was calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. And in the minds of the Pharisees, that was blasphemy and he deserved death. And nothing less than that. Now for a moment, I want to bring to your attention some of the claims that Jesus made here in John chapter 5. And I will tell you they are some very bold claims. Follow along with me. Verse 19 of John chapter 5. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And this is what... Verse 19 says. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He does not. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Oh my. He is throwing fuel on the fire. He is saying like, Father like son. If you are looking at me, you are looking at the father because I can only do the things that I see my father doing. You think that sat very well with the Pharisees? I can assure you it did not. But Jesus is just getting started here. Look at verse 21. For just as the Father gives life to those He raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone He wants. And so now, He's claiming to be the source of life just as the Father is the source of life, so too the Son is the source of life. Look at verses 22 and 23. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, He has given the Son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent Him. He's not letting up. Jesus is now claiming to be the judge of all mankind. And he says to his listeners, whatever honor you give to the Father, that is the kind of honor that you need to give to me. And I would imagine at this point in his sermon, the hair on the back of their necks is standing up. They are getting more and more irate. I'm not going to take the time to read all of these verses, but in verses 24 and following, he claims that in him is eternal life. And it's by his voice that the dead will one day rise up out of their graves. Are you hearing what he's saying? He is saying, I am the source of life. I am just like the Father. You look at me, you might as well be looking at the Father. And it's, I, it's me who is going to judge you and everyone else on the final day. And on the final day, it's by my voice 
that the dead will raise up out of their graves. You talk about bold claims. One bold claim after another. Mark Moore said this in his class lecture, that Jesus' claims were ludicrous, they were ridiculous, they were even psychotic, unless he was who he said he was. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Ralph Shedd. Some of you know Ralph Shedd. Many of you do. If you've been around here for a long time, you'll know Ralph Shedd uh, and his wife, Cindy. And Ralph is going to help me preach the rest of this sermon this morning. And he's going to take a look at the different witnesses that Jesus cited to give support to the claims that he has just made. Now, in case you don't know Ralph, if you're new here and you don't know Ralph and Cindy, Ralph uh, served in Chile for 24 years, uh, Chile, South America, as a missionary there. And our church supported him all through that time. In the last 11 years, he's been working at a ministry out of Joplin uh, called uh, Literature and Teaching Ministries. And our church supports him in that work as well. Ralph, I'm glad to have you help me preach today, brother. Thank you, Kim. It was about 1,988 years ago that in Israel... A man rose up and he had God's words. And everyone wanted to hear him. They came walking from miles. Even soldiers on their day off would go listen to this man of God preach. He was effective. When he said things, people listened to him. They decided, well, I've been doing this life thing wrong. And... I I need to change. And they would confess their sins and be baptized. This man preached about family values. And the hearts of the parents were turned toward their children. And children who didn't before began honoring their father and their mother. So this preacher was causing a great revival in Israel. Okay, hold that thought. We'll come back to him. And I... I grew up in Arcadia, Kansas. Anybody know where Arcadia is? Okay. Uh, my brother goes to church here. Anybody here know Larry Shedd? You know, it really is a privilege to be able to ask that and know that you think good thoughts about him. It's good to have a good brother. Yeah, well, I'm kind of like him. Okay, he says if I'd shave, I'd... Well, when... When my wife and I stopped ministering in Chile, we came to the United States and now work with literature and teaching ministries, just as Kevin said. And I, I, want, I want you to know that if you want to hear about our ministry, we're going to be in Sunday school class today. And I even, I even pulled this out of the bulletin so I'd know where. It's Steve Armstrong and Larry Paddock's class, The Encouragers. Am I right? Robinson Hall, 55. Okay, that's my ad. If you want to hear more about literature and teaching ministries, now we help missionaries publish books. Uh, you be there, okay, after this service. So, which knows the basketball free throw record for 60 seconds of free throws? 50. 50 free throws. I don't think I could do that. That's why I'm not in the record book. Okay, but it was, it was a man named Bob J. Fisher who shot 59 times in that minute, and he made 50 of them. And he did it in Kansas, 
It was in Valley Heights High School in Blue Rapids, Kansas. That's north of Manhattan. But I want to tell you about my friend Jimmy. My friend Jimmy went for the record, and he shot 64 baskets and hit 52 of them. How about that? Okay, now, why isn't he in the record book? Well, there's several reasons. I'm going to tell you the biggest one. Because I just made him up. I, I fibbed to you. You know, and if you wanted to check that, you can check out the Bobby J, Bob J. Fisher, okay? You check him out, and I hope somebody will, but wait until after service to do that. But the, the thing is, I can say lots of things, and it doesn't make them true, does it? My friend Jimmy, I don't have a friend Jimmy that I ever watched shoot baskets to make the record, okay? And you might, if, if, you, if, if I didn't tell you the truth, you might want to ask, well, where did he do it? What's his last name? Did anybody film it? Who was holding the stopwatch? Who counted the shots? And if I couldn't come up with answers, you would begin to suspect that I wasn't telling the truth, wouldn't you? So here's the deal. Jesus has just made big claims. He says that he works on the Sabbath because his father works on the Sabbath. He, he, he makes himself Lord over the Sabbath. And you heard it, that's from the Ten Commandments. Well, now, how's he going to be bigger and better than the Ten Commandments? They're from God. And he says he's one with the Father, and he only does what he sees the Father doing. And, and he has eternal life. No. Boy, well, you see, the deal is, anybody could say it. Can he back it up? And he says, as a matter of fact, there is a witness. And he names the witness, and it was this preacher that everybody knew was from God, John the Baptist. He said, check it out with John, see what he says. As a matter of fact, John had said a number of things about Jesus. He said, behold. The Son of God, excuse me, that was, that's for later, okay? Just forget I said that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who was he looking at? He was looking at Jesus. He was looking at Jesus. He said, I have heard from the one who sent me, and he said, when you see the Holy Spirit come down and rest on one person, that's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he also said, I have seen and give witness that this one is the Son of God. That's all in chapter 1 of John. So, if you don't believe me, ask John the Baptist. And Jesus pointed it out to him. I hope you have your Bible still open in John 5, and don't lose that spot. Starting in verse 31, he says, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Well, now, technically, his testimony, whatever he says is true... He's not going to lie to us, okay? But what he, the point he's making is, if Ralph tells you he knows Jimmy and he hit 52 shots in a minute, you don't have to listen to him unless he can back it up, okay? And he's saying, you don't have to believe what I'm telling you if it can't be backed up. And then he continues. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So, John 
gives testimony to the things that Jesus is saying about himself. Let's go ahead. We're at verse 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John's. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Huh. Okay, so there's John, but there's also the works. When I had, had Jesus done anything make you think he's different from everybody else? Oh, boy. Uh, anybody hear about, hear about water to wine? Okay. Now, that was in Galilee. Maybe some people in Jerusalem hadn't heard about it yet. But that wasn't the only thing he had done. When he talked in John chapter 3, it's recorded, he, he talked with Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, we know that you must be from God because somebody who isn't from God can't do all the marvelous works that you've done. Okay? So he didn't name them all, but we know he's done several. And Nicodemus knew about them. And Nicodemus lived in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem right now. Do you think anybody had heard about any miracle this man had done? Thank you. Okay, so, but that isn't all. In John chapter 4, he tells a man, he says, you know, you people just won't believe unless you see marvelous works, miracles. And the man said, oh, please, I just need you to come down and heal my son before he dies. And so Jesus said, you can go on your way. He's well. And healing by remote control. None of the prophets before did that. But anyway, he, he got home and he checked out the hour and it was when Jesus had said that he was well that the boy got better. Well, now, isn't that so? Yeah, isn't that something? And now Jesus picks out one man out of this hospital population around the pool of Bethesda and he heals him. And if anybody doesn't know that he healed him, all they have to do is keep their ears open because everybody in town is talking about it. And Jesus is right in the middle of a big discussion with... And by the way, they didn't say, you can't heal him. They said, you can't do that on Sabbath. You can't tell him to pick up his mat and walk. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I, that wasn't a direct quote. But he was glad they asked. He was provoking them to ask and to wonder. So we have the witness of John the Baptist. We have the witness of the works that Jesus has done. And let's continue. We're in verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Okay, We are really getting down to it right now. I think Jesus is pointing out, it doesn't matter how many testimonies, how many witnesses there are, you're not going to believe. And I already know it. But he's not finished with his list. He said, you don't know him. You don't know what his voice sounds like. He almost says, catch this, he almost says, if God came to be a human and stood right in front of him, you wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> oh, well... They didn't know God. Why didn't they know God? Well, this is, this is their reasoning, okay? Israel is God's nation. We are God's people, okay? And these leaders thought, we are God's leaders of God's nation. This man doesn't follow us. He's in rebellion against God. I, you know, that's sensical, logical reasoning. However, 
It's like Brother Kevin said, if he happened to be who he said he was, then logic doesn't matter. He still is the one. And by the way, today it is my experience that people don't not follow Jesus because they don't see enough evidence. It's because their hearts want to keep in charge of their life. It's a lack of repentance, not a lack of evidence. These people didn't want to repent, and so in order to not repent, they attacked Jesus instead of attacking their own sins. So we have three witnesses now, and one was John the Baptist, another was the works that Jesus does, another is God himself. They won't listen to God, but that isn't all. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Even the scriptures talk about Jesus. Let's let's think about one that Moses gave. Oh, this is a strong one. This is in, in Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, The Lord will raise up from among you, from among your brethren, another prophet like me, and you must listen to him. Anyone who does not listen to him will answer to God. Well, who do you suppose he was talking about? Say, Jesus. Jesus. You're right. (laughs) Psalm 2, the psalmist writes, he writes, and... You ask me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. I will give you the ends of the earth as your possession. Well, who do you suppose they're talking about there? It wasn't Jimmy shooting baskets. It was Jesus that Psalm 2 talks about, wasn't it? And, and some of you will remember the scripture that they turned to when the Magi came to Jerusalem and, and asked the man who didn't have a clue about the birth of the new king, He went to the people who knew the law. And they read in Micah, and we call it chapter 5, verse 2. They didn't have chapters and verses there, but they knew where to, they they quoted it. They didn't have to look it up. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you may be small among the clans of Judah, but out of you will come the one who will rule. Who do you think he was talking about? There was to be a baby born in Bethlehem. Oh, but it was, in, it was in Isaiah that it said more details about that. And behold, the virgin will be pregnant and she will give birth to a son. Well, who do you think they was talking about? And, and also in Isaiah, you know where it says, oh, they sing this at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, who do you think is going to be born so that the government is on their shoulder? Wasn't talking about democracy and the United States of America. He's talking about the Messiah. So all of these scriptures come together to say, as a fourth witness, I am who you don't want me to be. But I can't stop just because you don't want it who said he was Lord over the Sabbath, who said he was one with God, who said he could give eternal life and he only did what he saw the Father doing, um, we need to pay attention to it. Verse 45. 
But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So he made big claims, and he had at least four witnesses. And the book of John continues giving testimony to who this Jesus is. All right? The people he was talking to, they didn't want to believe. Do you want to believe? Are you convinced? Okay, and what it comes down to is, you've got to be willing to give up your life and let him be your leader. You have to confess your sins, just like they did when John the Baptist was preaching. They recognized, this is sin and I've been doing it. I'm going to give that up. And this is sin, and I've been doing that, and I'm going to give that up. And this is sin. Oh, my goodness, I've, I've got a lot I need to change. But when you're baptized into Jesus, you get an extra thing that John the Baptist didn't know about. You get the Holy Spirit to transform your life. And while I personally have not witnessed the miracles that Jesus talked about that he had done already in his lifetime when he was talking to them that day in Jerusalem, I asked me, ask me how I was before I decided to follow Jesus. Ask anyone here what their life was like before they followed Jesus. And the biggest personal miracle that he works is he transforms your life. He makes you into something different. So, before we have the invitation here, I'm going to pray. And I want to pray for you. And then it'll be time for you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to stand up while I pray. Dear Father God, I want to thank you that Jesus was not bashful about saying who he was. I want to thank you that Jesus was powerful and was willing to show by miracles and signs and wonders that you had sent him. I want to thank you that Jesus had courage to speak to people who didn't want to hear him in order that eventually the whole world, every nation, every people, every tongue, every tribe would hear about him so that they could be saved. I want to thank you that Jesus was courageous and I'd like to be like him. I want to thank you that he did everything that needs to be done so that we as his followers can have that life forever that he has promised. But we want to start it now. We want to be his subjects now. We want to recognize him as king now because Jesus is Lord and never will stop being Lord. Father, by your spirit, put your truth in our hearts. Convince us and help us to be willing to give up sin in order to follow Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. If you need to make a first-time decision for Jesus, this is the time you come forward. Brother Kevin's going to be here. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be right on the front row. I'd like to pray with you. If you need to make a decision for something you know the Lord wants you to do and you haven't told anybody yet, oh boy, when you share it with the family, we all get to pray for you. We all get to pray on your behalf. And life changes. It gets a lot better. You know the decision you need to make. Make it now.